leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with us this week is a very special guest. He's a second-time visitor on the program. He is an editor for the website The94. He's also the host of the Restricted Area Podcast. He's a graduate of the sports business classroom. His name is Simon Charon Gordon. Simon, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me back, Garrett. I'm uh, I'm honored for the the lengthy resume you just listed off there. Um, excited to uh, to break down these NBA tiers. I just I just want to say too, big shout out to and I think I said this last time, but it can't be stated enough. Like you've had so many SBC graduates on here and. Uh, it's it's awesome to hear people that I haven't seen since last summer and kind of keep that community going. So props to you for for doing that. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's been a blast, and you know it's been uh, it's been kind of necessary for me to do that to continue this podcast because my original co-host Anthony Brown he uh, he moved to Chicago to uh, to get his master's degree in social work. So uh, he was not available to continue being a co-host. So it's it's been really a blessing to to have all of these uh, these new contacts to to keep in touch with. And and you were absolutely one of my favorite people that I met uh, while we were in Vegas. But uh, we uh, we dis- we talked and we decided for for this episode that we were going to discuss uh, the tiers of the NBA now ranking the teams from essentially thirty to one. And uh, I thought it would be a really interesting thing to do at this time because we essentially know, for the most part, what the rosters are going to be like for these teams. Of course, there there can still be some buyout stuff happening until March 1st. But for the most part, these teams' rosters are complete. So we, uh, we, we're going to divvy this up into six tiers, and I'll, I'll just quickly go over those tiers. We're going to start with the lottery teams that we feel like definitely need Zion Williamson, uh, the uh, the superstar from Duke. Then we've got lottery teams on the rise, 
teams that maybe don't need Zion and we feel like they're you know they're uh, heading in the right direction but aren't going to be playoff teams this year. Then uh, hopeful playoff teams, teams that maybe are currently in but could potentially go out if they struggle down the stretch, and those teams that are on the outside looking in. Uh, and then we've got dangerous playoff teams, teams that we can imagine winning a round or two come playoff time. And then, of course, title contenders, teams that we, have, we believe have a genuine chance of, of taking home the uh, NBA championship. And then finally, the, uh, the title favorite. So, uh, Simon, let's start uh, on the, uh, the lottery teams vying for Zion Williamson. Uh, I've got seven teams in this category. Uh, I've got the Cleveland Cavaliers, the New York Knicks, the Phoenix Suns, Chicago Bulls, Memphis Grizzlies, New Orleans Pelicans, and Washington Wizards. How about you? So I actually only have four, and I know that with the new lottery odds, there it's about a 50-50 chance that a team outside of the bottom four actually gets Zion, but I, I really just see four teams that have put together a season-long campaign for Zion Williamson. It's possible that you know the Atlanta Hawks were in that group, but they've played better. The Memphis Grizzlies may fall down into that group now, etc. But I think that the Bulls, Cavs, Suns, and Knicks are, are kind of in a class of their own in terms of a season-long tank operation. And it is important to note, too, that while the odds are flattened for the top three picks it's still very advantageous to finish with the worst record because of the the floor of how far down you can fall in the draft, right? Um, That being said, Zion is is obviously the prize possession. So I kind of ranked these teams, I kind of went through this more in terms of like who I think I want to see Zion go to the most more than like who is the worst team. I don't know how you did it. Yeah, I, I kind of did that as well, uh, you know, because there there are certain teams that I actually have that, uh, you know, like, for instance, Memphis, New Orleans, and Washington all have technically better records than the Atlanta Hawks, but I have the Hawks actually in an, a, a tier above those teams because I actually like the young core that they've built, whereas I feel like the, the Wizards, Pelicans, and Grizzlies, you know, may have one or two intriguing young pieces, but overall they desperately need young talent. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, out of the out of those kind of non-bottom four teams that you're talking about, like, I would love to see him in Atlanta just because he's such a perfect fit with Trey Young. Um, maybe not, not so perfect with John Collins in the front court. You really are starting to get at a shooting deficit there. And Collins kind of needs the ball a, a decent amount offensively, but uh, I don't think you worry about that. Zion's a foundational piece, um, and I think him and Trey Young could really play well together. And, and then I think Memphis, too. Everything John Collins is in, in the front court, Jaron Jackson Jr. is. like, and, and you could even throw Dallas into this group. They, they may not, they're not going to retain their pick unless it falls in the top five, but obviously we're talking about a team winning the lottery here. Uh, they could pair Zion and, and Christoph Porzingis, which would just be like a perfect front court. You really want to see him with a, with a big who can space and protect the rim so he can kind of attack the rim on offense and then guard the perimeter more and switch on defense. Um, but inside the, inside the four teams that I have in this tier, I, I draw a line between the Suns and the Knicks and then the Bulls and the Cavs. So Phoenix, I mean, the fit there is clear. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, both have a lot of offensive upside, huge defensive weaknesses. Zion's better defensively at what each of them is supposed to do. He's a better rim protector than Ayton and a better perimeter defender than Booker. 
uh, and, and he fits with them offensively as well. Those guys can both kind of play off ball. Um, as can Zion, really, as, as a lob threat in the transition. And then the Knicks don't have quite that core, but I think New York is just like, I have to say I'm like a, I mean, I'm a Warriors fan, but I've kind of—I lived in New York for a while. I, I root for the Knicks a little bit now, so this might be biased, but I just want to see that team competitive, and I think that it'd be good for basketball. I think he—will they be able to build around him? That's another question. Um, but but those are the two places I want to see him. Cleveland, I, I'm sorry, Garrett, but like I can't see them win another lottery. I just can't. <laughs> yeah. um, They've been fortunate enough over the years. <laughs> exactly. Um, and Chicago, I just I like the young front court there with with Lowry and Wendell. So so that's kind of how I break it down. I, I'm interested to see what you think. Well, yeah, I, I think the Knicks thing is so fascinating because of you know the the Kristaps Porzingis deal opening up uh, two max salary spots, and and you know a, a lot of people have argued against this, but the draft is still as of now ahead of free agency. Uh, right. So you know if if New York wins the lottery and gets Zion Williamson. I imagine that would intrigue the likes of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving even more to go to the Big Apple. Yeah, and I mean, it would also give them another trade chip if they want to get involved in the AD sweepstakes. Exactly. Which you probably don't do unless you get those guys you mentioned. But Right. So so you actually do some uh, some draft content with Red Team Scouting, and I was curious you know, to, to get your thoughts as far as uh, for the people out there that haven't really seen Zion much, and, and I am one of those because I don't watch much college hoops. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen the highlight reel. Like, he seems to me to be like a, a rich man's Julius Randle out there in terms of his ability at that size to handle the basketball and be kind of a bulldozer to the rim. Uh, but, but how high of a level is this guy? Is this guy like a LeBron James and Anthony Davis type talent as a number one pick? So I'll say this, he's easily the best prospect relative to the rest of the class since Anthony Davis, and I would put him above Anthony Davis in that regard. Like the drop-off from Zion to whoever you have number two at Red Team Scouting, I think we have Jonte Porter at number two right now, but a lot of, you know, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, uh, Jared Culver, whoever, whoever you see as the next guy, there's just a massive, massive drop-off. So that places Zion's value in, in rarefied air alone because of, of the difference between getting that top pick that, that just gives him more value. In terms of just comparing him prospect for prospect, I think that I, I, he's, he's a tier below AD for me and certainly guys like LeBron, Kevin Durant, simply because there are real offensive questions about him. Like The defense is phenomenal. He's, he's got like a Draymond Green level ability to guard all five positions with a lot more athleticism than Draymond Green and, and maybe not quite the IQ, but, but pretty pretty darn close and, and a really high motor as well. Offensively, he's probably going to be really good. I, I like your Julius Randle comparison, and it's apt because he, he like Randle, is a left-handed guy who struggles to, to shoot a jump shot. Um, now he's got a lot more skill than Randle, a lot more ball-handling skill, a lot more passing skill, and, and certainly is, is far more athletic. He's also stronger, which is, is a hard thing to say about many guys uh, com- compared to Julius. So, so you love what he can do in transition. You love his potential as a guy who can attack off the dribble, but he's going to be guarded a lot like Ben Simmons in the league. I mean, they're just going to dare him to shoot, and I think he can take advantage of space a lot better than Simmons because he does have kind of more finesse inside. But um, 
but that's going to be a challenge and, and, and we don't know how it's going to look in the league. But that being said, like if you have the right pieces around him, if you put shooting around him, I think he's like going to be a surefire elite defender and, and piece of a, of a good team. Wow, you know, uh, I didn't realize that his his defensive ceiling was so high, and, and obviously when you see highlight reels, it doesn't show a lot on the defensive side. Uh, but, uh, you know, when when you brought those things up, the, the team that really came to mind that I think would be super intriguing out of, out of my list of seven uh, here on this bottom tier is the Memphis Grizzlies and pairing him with Jaron Jackson. And now Memphis would have two bigs that can both switch all over the floor and Jaron Jackson is that big you talked about that uh, would be a perfect fit, a guy that can stretch the floor and protect the rim. Yeah, and, you know, I think that, like, <laughs> I mentioned earlier how the Cavs are a team that um, that I don't want to see win another lottery. But I will say that I did want to see the Cavs win the lottery after LeBron left, and I was happy to see the Kyrie Irving pick go their way. I, I would love to see the same thing with the Pelicans, if if AD, if they ship out AD this summer, it would be nice for them to have that next young foundational piece. Um, I don't know about Zion playing next to Randall in that front court, but again, that's not really something you'd have to worry about. Uh, but that's that's certainly what we're watching for this lottery. I mean, these other guys, there there's some guys who fit better in other places, but uh, but who wins the Zion sweepstakes is is kind of the biggest lottery question we've had, and like I said, at least since the AD draft. Well, and uh, going to the next tier, I had, uh, and, and again, this next tier is called Lottery Teams on the Rise. I had the Dallas Mavericks and the, and the Atlanta Hawks. And, of course, the reason I have the Dallas Mavericks on there is, you know, their acquisition of Porzingis. With Porzingis and Doncic, they already have a couple of foundational pieces, so they don't necessarily need to snag a guy like Zion to be successful in the future. And as far as Atlanta is concerned, you know, you, you mentioned the likes of Trey Young, and John Collins, and, and Kevin Herter is another guy that uh, looks to be at least a, a solid rotation piece for the foreseeable future. And with the pick that they uh, they own from Dallas, as long as that doesn't fall in the top five, the Hawks are likely to have two top ten picks. So even if they don't end up getting Zion, they're going to be really improving their team this offseason. Yeah, so your your tier here is the team that made that uh, that trade for Lucas. Exa- exactly. Uh, I, 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 uh... I have the same two teams along with the the other three that you had in the bottom tier. So Washington, New Orleans, and Memphis. I, I'm interested. I mean, I I was a proponent of the trade Atlanta made. I know I'm in the, the small minority there. I know that right now, Luke is clearly looking like a, a generational type talent, and, and Trey Young looks promising, but you know, just like a clear tier or two below that. Um, I, first of all, I, I see those guys as a little bit closer in terms of their ceiling. I think that Luca is closer to his ceiling right now than Trey Young is, for one. And secondly, I think that there's a little bit of revisionist history there. Like, we all thought Luca was probably going to be really good, and now that he is really good, it's like it was 100%. But at the time, I think it was a percentage play that I actually liked for Atlanta. And uh, if they can make something happen with that second lottery pick now, then well, I think the jury's still out on, on Atlanta like losing that trade as badly as people say they did. Right, and I mean, the, the conversation with Trey Young versus Luka Doncic, I don't think Atlanta was even necessarily making the judgment call that they they thought Trey Young on his own was going to be better than Luka Doncic. I think the, the gamble there is saying Trey Young and another top 10 pick 
those two guys combined will be better than Luka Doncic in the long run. And and you're right, we have to wait and see what that other guy is. You know, if they nail, uh, you know, if that pick ends up in the five to or excuse me, the six to ten range, and they nail that selection, you know, yeah, they've got uh, they've got not only Trey Young who has looked very promising here in the the second half of the season, he's continued to develop, but uh, to get a secondary guy as well. Yeah, Luka Doncic might be the best player of those three guys, but if Atlanta gets two solid pieces, two solid starters out of that deal, I think they'll be relatively happy. Yeah, and I I just like what they're doing. You mentioned earlier how they've been playing really well lately. I like that they aren't uh, sacrificing player development and kind of growth as a team for slightly better lottery positioning. Well, yeah, and you know, to speak to the other team again, you mentioned in the in the Luca Trey Young deal, Dallas. You know, after making the Porzingis trade, they ended up trading Harrison Barnes to uh, to get off of his cap space, which he had a player option for around twenty five million next season. So Dallas has a lot of cap space to work with. And what's intriguing about that to me is the fact that the Porzingis deal I thought was in fact a, a way for them to say, you know, what, we're not going to put our money in the or our chips in the free agent basket. We're going to get the guy through trade, but now they have space as well to get the third guy. Is there anybody out there that you think would be, you know, a good fit for them to get to, to build their core? Uh, I mean, I haven't thought about it in terms of specific players. I will say that I would be really careful if I were them. I think that like their timeline is not, it's not a win now timeline. I know that like, they have the cap space and, and you want to use it. But at the same time, I don't think we're going to really see the number two Kristaps Porzingis that they're expecting him to be next to Luca for at least a couple of years just because of, of the time he's missed. I think next year is probably somewhat of a lost season in terms of him getting back to where he was at and then progressing from there. And Doncic is still young. He could take a step back next year, much like we saw from Donovan Mitchell and, and uh, Jason Tatum early on this season those guys have turned it around to some extent but I, I just wouldn't rush things if I were Dallas I, w- I would play the long game so if there is a free agent to be had with you know kind of filling that Harrison Barnes 25 million plus void I would I would really caution them to, to look at someone who kind of fits that timeline and, and might pay off more value at the end of their deal rather than right away well yeah there's you know there's there's different ways teams can go about this. They could use their cap space this summer to acquire draft assets and uh, you know have guys on cost controlled contracts around the time when you're mentioning that Christoph Porzingis might uh, get back to his uh, his elite form. But uh, let's let's move on now to the to the next tier which is the hopeful playoff teams. I've actually got 10 teams in this tier. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll rattle them off real quick. I've got the uh, Orlando Magic, Detroit Pistons, Charlotte Hornets, Miami Heat, Minnesota Timberwolves, the Sacramento Kings, the LA Clippers, San Antonio Spurs, Brooklyn Nets, and finally the Los Angeles Lakers. Who do you have in that tier? I, I have the exact uh, same 10 teams. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. We didn't discuss this beforehand, just to, just to let the audience know. <laughs> no, there were a couple that it, it wasn't an obvious list, uh, so there, that is somewhat of a coincidence. I mean, like you could say because our next category is dangerous playoff teams, and you could you could certainly say that the Spurs or, or Lakers or even Brooklyn Nets have have some potential to get in there, and then it was also possible that we could have put teams like Orlando or Minnesota in the lottery team list. So uh, we we both kind of went the route of expanding expanding this group i guess this is problem this is 
going to be the biggest group of, of all of them, I assume. Well, right, and, you know, going to the top of that list, I had the Lakers at the top of that tier because, you know, and, and they have to be in the hopeful playoff teams because as of right now, they're the 10th seed in the Western Conference. And, uh, you know, the 11th seed, the Minnesota Timberwolves are only a game back of the Lakers even. You know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, the Lakers have 25 games to catch both the, the Kings and the Clippers, but, you know, you can't count out Minnesota either, who is still right there. Uh, and, and, you know, they might get the likes of, uh, of Derrick Rose and Robert Covington back for the stretch run as well. So, you know, the, the Lakers are certainly a team that's trying to get in. But, yeah, they, they are on the borderline of being a dangerous playoff team as well because if they do get in, they do have LeBron James. Right, exactly. And, and that was the, the dilemma with them. I, I did consider them putting a tier higher. Uh, in the end, I actually didn't put them number one in this tier, though, because... I, I kind of ranked this just on likelihood of making the playoffs. Since gotcha. That to me, seemed like the, the premise of this tier. I had the Spurs and the Kings ahead of the Lakers. Now, I don't think the Spurs is super controversial. They've been a much better team in the past couple months, and uh, and they're they're a bit ahead of LA. Sacramento, I know, would, would probably raise some more eyebrows. I just think that with the Harrison Barnes trade, they have they have legitimized themselves as the, t- the team that I see getting the eight seed in the West. Um, Barnes is, is by no means like a great player, uh, but I do think that that he's exactly what they lacked. He kind of gives them a chance to play small and have someone who can credibly defend at the forward spot alongside Bogdanovich at the three, um, with of course the the healed Fox backcourt. But also, like people talk about Harrison as a three and had his deficiencies there, he's still an upgrade even if he plays small forward. With, with, you know, uh, Bielitsa at the four or, or what have you. He's still such an upgrade over Justin Jackson, who I just think is, like, a fringe rotation player at best. Um, Ken Barnes has the ability to create his own shot, which which this team kind of lacks across the roster. I, I just think that he, he gives them a legitimacy that they didn't have before, to whereas I saw them as kind of, like, they're hanging around 500, but I don't think they're really a 500 team to now, like, yeah, I, th- I think they're probably the best team out of out of the the two LA teams and, and themselves. Yeah, I, you know, I completely agree with you. I've heard a lot of people talk about you know maybe they they should have gone after Otto Porter instead of Harrison Barnes. But to me, Otto Porter doesn't fill the the hole that you mentioned the the, the problem that they had, which was defending big wings and defending you know legitimate power forwards while still maintaining their spacing. And Barnes is you know with his strength and his size gives you that whereas Otto Porter despite the fact that he's probably a, a you know he is a better shooter and he's probably an all-around better offensive player and you know maybe he's better at defending kind of a, an average small forward type player he, he's not capable of guarding those big time guys and, and Barnes at least when you put him on a, you know a guy like Kevin Durant or or you know even some of those uh like a guy like Kawhi Leonard, at least he's going to hold his ground and not just get completely bowled over. Yeah, and for, and for Sacramento, having a guy who's on a shorter contract long-term than Otto Porter, I think, I think makes sense. Now, I, I'm curious, I mean, so I had the, the four Western teams uh, other than Minnesota, so the Spurs, Kings, Lakers, Clippers were my top four in this tier, and, and then I had a run of five Eastern teams. I'm curious to hear what you think about Brooklyn, because record-wise, they're, they seem like if not a lock, then close to a playoff lock. Did you consider them as a dangerous playoff team 
What was your thinking on them? Yes, I did. I actually had them behind the Lakers at number two on the in this tier, and uh, you know, a, a big part of that is you know you, you mentioned it. They're they're very likely to be in the playoffs. They're currently, I believe, in the in the sixth spot in the East. And the other thing that's intriguing about that team and why I considered them in the dangerous territory is because. If the playoffs started today, they'd be matched up against the Victor Oladipo-less Indiana Pacers in round one. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, you, you expect the Pacers to fall into that 4-5 matchup by the end of the season, but they've been defying expectations so far. Um, and that's true, Brooklyn Brooklyn could be in the second round. I didn't think of it that way. I guess, I guess whoever gets that sixth seed, though, if that ends up being Indy in the three seed, would have somewhat of a chance because even these other teams like Miami, Charlotte, Detroit do have more star power than than the Pacers do right now. Well, and, you know, Brooklyn is a team that really hasn't been able to be fully healthy all season long. You know, obviously the, the Karis Levert foot injury, and now most recently they've uh, they've been missing Spencer Dinwiddie. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell, I think, has been getting better and better as the year has gone on. Uh, I think, uh, you know, and, and they have the three-point shooting champ and Joe Harris as well. You know, a team with Dinwiddie, Lavert, Harris, uh, D'Angelo Russell, you know, the, they have some weapons and, and could put a serious competitive series against a team like Indiana, I think. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what Lavert looks like in the second half. I, I really hope he gets back to that level he was at uh, coming out of the gates this season. I, um, I also... I'm interested to see if you know Goran Dragic can get back from Miami. What that does for them, I have them right below the Nets in this tier. I know that right now they, they sit comfortably, I think in tenth, um, but it's also close. I, I just think that getting Dragic back, he's he's missed a, a good amount of time this year. Dion Waiters hasn't hasn't really shown much, but uh, he, he could maybe have a second half resurgence. He played incredibly well against the Warriors just before the All Star break. Um, I do think that I. I see Miami getting in, and then I have Charlotte above Detroit. That, that's really a toss-up. Orlando, I think, is, well, well, they have been the hottest team of this group lately. Uh, that seems to be a little more unsustainable. I, I still just am not a believer in their talent compared to these other teams. Um, and then I have Minnesota at the bottom of this group. Kind of just, I see them as clearly separate from the rest of those West teams, but not ready to rule them out as a lottery team. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I, I agree with most of what you said, except my ranking is a little bit different, I think, just because I, I value the, the, the strength of the West over the East maybe a little bit more, because I have Minnesota over uh, those bottom four East teams, Miami, Charlotte, Detroit, and Orlando, and those four in the East I have at the bottom of this tier in, in that exact order. And as you said, Orlando's been hot lately, which has kept them in the race, but all four of those teams just don't, you know, they just don't excite me. They, they're not particularly fun to watch. Uh, they, uh, they're all under 500, that none of them really have that, you know, aside from maybe uh, the likes of, of Blake Griffin, none of them have that real game-changing type player on their rosters, and uh, I just don't see any of those teams having a, having a chance of winning a first-round series. Yeah, no, I, 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 no disagreement there. Should we uh, move on to start talking about the good teams? Yes, uh, this is. These are more of the tiers that I'm actually excited about discussing. So, so this tier we have as dangerous playoff teams, and uh, and I've got seven teams in this tier, and I'll, I'll say them in order from top to bottom. I've got Houston, Philadelphia, Denver, Oklahoma City, Portland, Utah, and Indiana. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Um, this is going to reveal probably my my hottest take of 
of this podcast. I have Oklahoma City, Utah, Denver, Portland, and Indiana. So if you can remember the teams that I didn't put on that list, maybe we'll, we'll table that for, for later uh, because they'll be coming up. But um, So of, of the five teams I had, so you had... You had, what, seven? You had two teams yeah. that I have in the higher tier? Yes. Okay, so I guess, yeah, do you want to table talking about those, or... Sure, and yeah, I can I can talk about why I had them in the lower tier when we get to it later sure. later on. Sure. So yeah, of this group, I mean, I think the probably most interesting thing to discuss is, like, ranking these West teams. I mean, Indiana, I think, clearly belongs here. They're not a title contender, especially not without Oladipo. But uh, to, to discount them from, from you know winning a playoff series would be ridiculous. Uh, but those four Western teams that I have, so OKC, Utah, Denver, and Portland, I actually had the Nuggets finishing third in the West this year behind Golden State and Houston. And then they've that's been one of the – I've gotten a lot of predictions wrong this year, but that's been one that I've been pretty proud of nailing. That being said, I just don't see them as much of a playoff team. They haven't been to the playoffs. This core hasn't been to the playoffs. Their second-best player – is at this point probably Jamal Murray. You could say Paul Millsap, but either way, I, I, I just think that like with Jokic's own defensive deficiencies and, and the lack of experience down their roster, uh, I see a team like Utah and Oklahoma City as much larger threats to uh, to make a run in the West. I had Denver above both of those teams, and I guess I'll, I'll provide my my thoughts on on why that is. You know. The, the thing that's been so fascinating about Denver's run, you mentioned you had them, you predicted them to finish third. I predicted them to finish fourth. So we both felt pretty highly about them coming in. But I could have never expected, with all of the injuries that they have suffered, to still be this high up in the standings. It's been really, really impressive. Jokic has been phenomenal. Jamal Murray has, uh, has developed a really nice chemistry with his big man uh, in that pick and roll and the give and go sequences. And the fact that they've they've missed Gary Harris for a ton of the season, you know, Will Barton missed like the first thirty five or forty games. Paul Millsap missed a month, and and they're still this good. And in large part, the biggest surprise to me and why I think they've been able to have this sustained success is the defensive side of the ball. You know, we all knew what they were capable of offensively due to the last couple of seasons, them really lighting it up and and running a, a really sophisticated offense through, you know, dribble handoffs with Jokic at the at the elbows. But the defense has been has been such a surprise and, and a big reason why I have them as a little bit more of a, a team that can make a run in the playoffs because they have proven, you know, for two thirds of this regular season that they are legitimately a solid defensive group. Yeah, and I, I can't disagree with anything you said. I will say that I do think that the injuries, part of the reason that they haven't hurt them as much is because they have allowed better defensive players to, to step into these minutes. Uh, certainly, Will Barton being out of the lineup helps their defense when you're replacing him with guys like Tory Craig, uh, Monty Morris, Malik Beasley, guys of that nature. And, and even Gary Harris, I think, is, is a solid defender, but I would, I would take some of those other guys over him. So I think that's kind of kept their defense afloat. I wonder with a fully healthy roster, if they do get fully healthy, because that is still still a question for, for so many guys who have been beat up all year, I, I do wonder if there will be diminishing returns, and it's kind of like more of a question of who Mike Mal- what imperfect player does Mike Malone give the minutes to. Um, now if they want to really push the pace and kind of play that style and, and, and tire the other team out because they can go deeper, that's one thing, but that doesn't 
really match, I think, what Denver does. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how Malone utilizes his, what he has going for him, which is the depth in the playoffs. I just see a team like Oklahoma City and Utah who have, like, I mean, OKC, has, I guess, hasn't proven anything. They lost to Utah last year, but certainly have guys who have been deep into the playoffs before, and, and Utah really did impress me even against Houston last year with what they were able to do, although they did lose that series in five. Um, those are teams that I also just see challenging the Warriors a little bit more, which which adds like a danger factor to me. Like I, I don't see any of these teams pulling an upset, but if I were to rank them in likelihood of beating the Warriors, I would have OKC, Utah, Denver, Portland, which is also the order I have these teams ranked in this year. That's interesting. You know, speaking to the likes of you know Oklahoma City, Portland, and Utah in, in comparison to Denver, you know, I think Portland might actually be the the toughest matchup for a team like Denver, given the the fact that they've got guards in in Lillard and McCollum that can really uh, stretch the floor and stretch your defense and, and force Jokic to get out of the paint. Whereas yeah. teams like Oklahoma City and Utah, I don't know if they have enough outside shooting to really make Denver's weaknesses defensively come to fruition. That's a good point, and I guess at first I was thinking. You know, well, Stephen Adams, Rudy Gobert—they're—they're guys who can really give Jokic trouble on on the other end of the court. But but Yusuf Nurkic has had a really nice defensive year, and, and last couple of years really too. So uh, maybe all of these teams have a decent chance at, at matching up with Denver. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't see any of these teams like making a run to the conference finals. I, I mean, I think there's a, there's a chance that one of them will. Clearly, there's a team that I, I think has the best chance that I have in the tier higher. Um, I don't know. Do you do you have anything else on these guys? I'd say we we move on. Let's hear w- what teams are in your title contender category. Sure. So uh, I have the Milwaukee Bucks at the top, followed by the Toronto Raptors, Boston Celtics, and then the two teams you had a tier below, the Philadelphia 76ers, who I don't think are controversial in this title contenders tier, and then the Houston Rockets. Um, and I, I feel like I should probably talk about why I have them there right away because that that it runs kind of counterintuitive to what they've been this season I think that I wouldn't be shocked if the Rockets lost in the first round I wouldn't be shocked if they lost to those four Western teams we were just talking about uh, and the odds are that they're just not the same team as they were last year I just think that there's a chance that they are and I think that you know Chris Paul has looked totally washed this year and look I took the Houston under I wasn't super high on them this year I thought you know, this could be the year that Chris Paul falls off. We saw him break down in the playoffs again last year, um, and, and we've seen it happen. But there's a chance that he is either saving himself intentionally or not intentionally, but because of the time he's missed, he'll kind of be fresher to go in the postseason. And if Chris Paul is Chris Paul, and if Clint Capella is healthy, and, and that three-man, that uh, trio that was so dominant last year and led this team to within a few points of the finals and probably a championship if those guys are the same i just don't know how much the slightly weakened depth around them with the loss of ariza luke and Bonbute, et cetera really matters like i still think that's a team that is clearly not only more dangerous but an entire tier more dangerous than, than any non-warriors team in the west yeah so so i agree with a lot of what you said and again i had this team not as I had the Rockets as a dangerous team as opposed to a, pl- a title contender. You know, I certainly could see them making the Western Conference Finals again. That's not out of the realm uh, of possibility. 
Uh, of course, they would probably have to move up to the three seed to to avoid the Warriors in round two to be able to pull that off. Um, but uh, but you know the the biggest issue, and and you you mentioned obviously the Chris Paul is, has not looked the same, and, and certainly he could be pulling an Andre Iguodala and uh, you know really uh, really be saving himself for when it matters. But you know. I do think the the loss of Ariza and Mba Mute and and those guys really does hurt this team's ceiling, and uh, especially if you're talking about going up against the Warriors and and having to defend guys like Kevin Durant. And I think you know a, a thing that has uh, has not been talked about enough is the idea that not only does Ariza give you that guy that can defend Durant, but he also allowed them to more often go with P.J. Tucker at the five when Capella was resting. Uh, and, and that was a lineup that I thought was extremely successful. They were able to kind of match the Warriors' death lineup. And this year, they haven't really been able to go to that nearly as much. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, I, I do think, in general, I, I kind of fall differently on the Ariza thing. And this is this is an interesting conversation that I've kind of had throughout the season, especially early on when, when Houston was struggling out of the gate. I always saw the loss of depth as more of a regular season problem, whereas I think most people agreed with you and, and saw it more as a postseason problem. They kind of thought that the, the top-end talent would, would carry Houston throughout the regular season, but they would really miss those guys in the playoffs. To me, the postseason, and this is this is all anecdotal, I don't, I don't know who's right about this, I haven't studied this, but I, I just value top-end talent so much more in the postseason, and I think that, like, yes, Ariza missed what he was 0 of 9 from 3 or whatever in, in game 7 last year and all, all these guys struggled and that's something that certainly the Rockets could have used more help from but I think that's a small sample size so if like one of these other depth pieces they have can kind of step up and, and get hot in a game 7 I think that they can be a, a proxy for a reason but I think that the, the real question is can Chris Paul and James Harden play to the level of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant I mean I, I just think that the playoffs come down two stars more than the regular season so I actually am higher on Houston in the postseason for the same reason that I may have been lower on them than a lot of people in the regular season because I do agree in that sense that the loss of, of Arisa really hurt them well yeah I, I definitely felt like the loss of Mba Mute and and Ryan Anderson were were much more impactful and harmful to them in the regular season but I do think Ariza was absolutely critical to that series being competitive last year and the Rockets nearly winning that and you know we've we've seen with teams competing and and you know with with that 2016 playoffs with Oklahoma City nearly beating the Warriors and then the Cavs able to to beat them in seven and then of course last year's Western Conference Finals I think the way you got you have to beat the Warriors is by grinding it out and winning a defensive, you know, sort of matchup. And, you know, there, there's this thought that, oh, the, the Rockets take a bunch of threes and, and they can just win in a shootout. I just don't think you're going to outshoot the likes of Curry, Thompson, and Durant. The only way you beat that team is by making it a game that, like, like last year in games four and five, where it was a game in the low to mid-90s and the Rockets just kind of grinded out wins. Yeah, I agree with you. And, uh... <laughs> I mean, we, we heard uh, Mike D'Antoni say some things at Summer League last year about the Warriors, a certain signing the Warriors made that may have been advantageous for Houston. Um, we'll, we'll see if, if that ends up coming into play. But I, I do think that that is really their only hope, is that like 
you know, if Cousins is, is just a problem and Kerr can't kind of get him off the floor because of chemistry issues or if the Warriors suffer injuries, um, I do agree with you that, like, this team's not going to beat a healthy Warriors team in a shootout. Uh, so uh, there's, there's really no team I, I see coming out of the West. The four teams in this tier that I do have in the East, I all think have a better chance than any team in the West. Um, you haven't said, I guess, what your tier is. Do you, do you have the same Eastern teams, or, or did you have anyone else in the, uh, the top tier? Okay, so so I had Philadelphia in the in the tier below what you have them. I had them as well as the Rockets in the dangerous tier. But yes, I have the the top three, the what I consider the top three teams in the East: the Raptors, Bucks, and Celtics in this title contenders tier. But but let me quickly just uh, talk about Philadelphia, and you can you can uh, talk after about what your thoughts are on why you have them as a title contender. But I just see Philadelphia as the underdog against all three of those uh, those top tier Eastern Conference teams. I think Toronto acquiring Marcus Saul was was a huge uh, a huge get for them, specifically in the matchup against Philadelphia and, and Embiid. Gasol is a terrific post defender. You know Horford for the Celtics has shown that uh, he gives Embiid big time problems on uh, on the block. And then you know with with Milwaukee, I think Brook Lopez as well is a pretty stout post defender and frankly you know I think with uh, you know if, if Embiid is going to struggle to score points in any of those series and with the limitations Ben Simmons has in a playoff context uh, I think Philadelphia is the underdog in all three of those series and they're going to have to win against two of those teams at least and perhaps all three to get to the NBA finals yeah and I don't I don't disagree with any of that I think this is more a matter of degrees. I have Philly fourth of those four teams as well. I just put them in the same tier. And I guess the reason that I kept them in the same tier is because while I agree I would I would favor the other three over them, I, I think that from a talent standpoint, the Sixers could beat any of those teams as well. Like the Sixers making the finals would not shock me. I think that if you if you stack up five man lineups, uh, Philly has the best five man lineup from a talent perspective. Now Will they be able to get enough floor spacing with Simmons and Embiid and Butler all out there together? Remains to be seen. Will Embiid get kind of bullied by by a man half his size and Al Horford again? Uh, well, that remains to be seen as well. I do think Embiid has shown tremendous growth every year he's been in the league. I think he's a different player than he was last year. But until you prove it in the postseason, I'm not going to just give him give him a pass on that. Ben Simmons too. He's the guy I worry about the most. I mean, he we saw him at times get replaced by, by T.J. McConnell in uh, in the playoffs last year because of his Boston's ability to just completely play off of him. So, so that's certainly worrisome. Now, you have so much more offensive talent out there now in a way that hurts Simmons because it like puts more emphasis on his ability to space the floor, but in another way that, that just does help him because the defense just has more to worry about in general, um, which, which can open up lanes for him getting to the rim playmaking opportunities etc uh so i don't i don't expect the sixers to come out of the east but i just think that when you put four all-star level players out there and and then jj reddick as your fifth guy um you have a chance to, to really beat anyone even even including golden state should they get there yeah i mean i i don't disagree that their starting lineup aside from golden state is the best in the league i guess my my biggest concerns is obviously the bench you know, they, they mortgaged a lot of their depth in both the Butler and the Harris deals. I don't believe in Boban Marjanovic as a playoff performer. I don't believe in Furkan Korkmaz. 
and you know TJ McConnell is just going to come in there and, and provide the same spacing issues as a lot of their starting lineup. Uh, and and also you know I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about the chemistry as well. You know you're uh, they they hadn't fully figured out how to integrate Jimmy Butler into the team yet, and now they've also added Tobias Harris. You know, obviously they can they can play some mismatch basketball, which is really intriguing. But I think the chemistry that uh, teams like, uh, especially Toronto and Boston, have built over the last couple of years can't be ignored. Yeah, I certainly agree with that, and uh, and I was not the biggest fan of the Butler or the Harris trades. Um, I, I do think that it raises their ceiling, which is again why I have them in this group. But but I do think that there are there are fit issues just in terms of play style, and then there's just the chemistry issues of getting used to playing with guys like that. They're going to have to sign those guys to long-term deals considering what they gave up for them. So uh, that may get better over time, but Butler's turning 30. Uh, it, it'll be really interesting to kind of see what happens with this team. Of, of the other three teams, so the three that you had in this tier, it sounded like you had Toronto as your number one? Yes, I had it Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston. Okay, so... I have Boston three as well, so maybe we can talk about why what our disagreement is on the Bucks and Raptors. What what made you put Toronto at the top of this list? Okay, so so it's interesting. I actually I have Toronto above Milwaukee, but I also like Milwaukee in a series against Toronto. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. The the reason I have Toronto a little bit higher is because you know I mentioned earlier that if the playoffs started today, the Toronto's second round matchup would be against Indiana. And, uh, you know, I, I very much would favor them. I feel like out of those three teams, if that's how the playoff bracket shakes out, they're easily out of the three the most likely to make the conference finals. And so that gives them an edge in terms of being a team that can get out of the East. But I also like them uh, as slight favorites over the Boston Celtics. I think Toronto has, has the defense and, uh, you know, can match up pretty well with Boston. And uh, I already mentioned that I, I favor them over Philadelphia. But it is, uh, you know, despite the fact that, uh, you know, I ranked the teams as I did, it was, it was really tough to do so. And I think any of these teams could win in a series. It's, it's that tight. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, Boston doesn't quite have the top-end talent of those teams, but they, they have clearly the most proven playoff track record of all of them. Um, so, so I wouldn't be surprised to, to see them come out of the East. And they were, before the season, looked like they were probably the favorites, although I think I did have Toronto as my preseason favorite. Um, Milwaukee, I see as like a half tier above the rest of the group, and I, I slightly considered them putting them putting them in the title favorites category. Oh, <laughs> I do see a lot of, uh, I mean, now, obviously the Warriors are the favorite, but I saw them maybe being closer to the Warriors than to these other teams. Um, I do see a lot of 2015 Warriors in this Bucks team, whereas that Warriors team, when Steve Kerr was first hired, they had won one playoff series in, in that course history, and this Bucks team has not won a single playoff series, so the, that Warriors team was a little more proven, but still hadn't, hadn't you know, been to the conference finals or, or really shown anything as a title contender up to that point. And and then they, they got their coach in there to kind of, you know, unleash these guys, and, and suddenly they were winning 67 games, and people were still saying, oh, well, you know, this team's not uh, going to win the championship. The playoffs are a different beast. And, and sure enough, they, they proved that they were for real in the postseason. Um, so I kind of see the Bucks on a slightly similar path. The reason I ended up not going with that is twofold. One is that the Warriors are today something a lot better than they were back then, and the Bucks will 
most likely have to go through this version of the Warriors rather than the 2015 version if they want to win the title. And then the other reason is that as unproven as that Warriors team was, they did have three all-NBA-level talents, and this Bucks team just has one in Giannis. Um, and, and that one is still no Steph Curry when it comes to his playoff uh, ability. I mean, he, Giannis has been good in the playoffs, but his game also has holes that the playoffs have a chance of exposing. So uh, it, they're just a little more unproven, but I, I do think that they have that kind of upside of being like a special team that uh, that Toronto and Boston, I think, are very good teams, but are, but are just, a, a, you know, I, like I said, a half tier below. Well, yeah, the, the, the reason I have these three teams as title contenders as well is I think defensively, they uh, they not only can they can put up a, a defense that can slow down the Warriors and make it a grinded out series like Houston did last year, but they also have some go to options offensively that can can score enough to keep them in the game on that end as well. Whereas as Philadelphia, you know, again another reason why I don't have them quite in that tier. Philadelphia, despite the fact that as you mentioned they've got four All Stars and JJ Redick in their starting five. I just don't see how they're going to be able to score enough, especially with the deficiencies of Embiid and Simmons. But but going back to your thoughts on the Bucks, I, I, I think the Bucks ceiling uh, is probably the highest out of the three teams, especially with the acquisition of, of Miritich. He gives them the ability to potentially play Giannis at the five more, which is really scary. Uh, but but the reason you know I, I have them below the Raptors is I have them as a significant underdog in a matchup against Boston you know we saw it earlier in the season when the teams matched up and it seemed like the Celtics hit 47 threes on them uh you know the the Milwaukee Bucks defensive scheme is very much predicated on stopping the shots at the rim not fouling uh and and conceding threes to guys that maybe you'd you'd want to allow guys to shoot but Boston just has so many shooters and uh, they're they're so good at uh, making Milwaukee collapse into the paint and then kicking it swing swing into an open three. I just don't imagine Milwaukee would beat Boston because of that. Whereas you know that defense I think would work really well against a team like Golden State because despite the fact that the Warriors have three elite shooters in Durant, Curry, and Thompson, their shooting depth on the roster is 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 not very good. So Milwaukee, if they can force guys like Iguodala and Draymond Green and Sean Livingston and, you know, all of those role players to take a bunch of the shots, it's to their advantage. Yeah, and, you know, I do think that we have seen uh, all four of the teams that I have in the East in this category and, and, you know, the three you have plus Philadelphia all give the Warriors problems this year. Like, the Warriors are clearly the favorites. I don't think anyone would disagree with that, but... We, we've seen all of these teams, I think, all beat the Warriors this season, um, if not kind of blow them out at Oracle. Philly most recently, but Toronto and Milwaukee as well. Toronto did so without Kawhi Leonard, and, and we've seen Boston have success against the Warriors in uh, over the years. I, I do think that like Golden State is in for its toughest finals matchup it's had in the Durant era, um, no matter which of these teams emerges. I'm... I'm still more interested probably to see the Eastern Conference playoffs, which is going to be fascinating once we once we get out of round one. But uh, these, these teams, to me, all, all have like actual championship potential. Yeah, and, and it's so fascinating, you know, because I think all of these teams have, have different strengths. I think Toronto's big strength is going to be, you know, their 
uh, you know, their their play on the wing with Leonard and Danny Green, and and I think OG Ananobi has started to to show some signs. You know, he dealt with some some personal issues earlier in the year, and he may have dealt with some of the things you mentioned earlier that uh, that Jason Tatum and Mitchell struggled with, and just kind of that sophomore slump. But he's looked better as of late. And uh, I think the acquisition of Gasol is also a guy that can can slow down Cousins. And then, you know, getting Jeremy Lin, I think, allows them to have a nine-man rotation where they've got enough shooting now uh, to, uh, to, to really compete with, uh, with the best teams in the NBA. Yeah, he's probably, at least in terms of his ceiling, an upgrade over, over Dillon Wright, uh, who, who they lost in the Gasol trade. So they kind of filled that hole maybe and then some, although he's not the defender right is, of course. But uh, but they are a more complete team than they were entering the season. And obviously Pascal Siakam, he's a guy I liked, but did not see this type of breakout coming. I think he should have been an all-star in the East. I don't even think that was a question. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't get more talk of, of being a snub. Um, they're for real. Kawhi Leonard, out of any non-LeBron player in the league, has probably had the most success against Golden State over the years. And, uh, and and they're legit. I mean, the, the Raptors have this, this stink on them because of, of what they did over the years with, with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry leading the way. Not only has Kawhi replaced DeRozan, but Lowry has also really been phased back into playing more of a role than being a guy that has to carry them. I was I was talking to someone recently like about why they don't think Toronto is coming out of the East, and they're like, do you still trust, do you trust Kyle Lowry in the playoffs after everything you've seen? And I'm like... Yeah, I trust this version of Kyle Lowry. I trust the Kyle Lowry that's job is kind of just to facilitate, get everyone involved, and, and be a spot-up shooter rather than be a go-to guy. I think I, I think that whatever pressure was too much for him in the past, if you believe in that narrative, which I, I kind of do, um, I just I don't think that that's going to be the circumstances he's faced with this year, with with Leonard there and with Gasol and Siakam as well. Well, yeah, and you know the. Obviously, the the Lowry and DeRozan playoff struggles have been talked to death, but I think it was, you know, at the start of their run together, it was definitely both of them struggling immensely. But I think the last year or two, Lowry has kind of turned that around, and it was mostly DeRozan that was the one that was, of course, there was that famous game against Cleveland where he just sat on the bench and Toronto made a huge comeback, and people were questioning, oh, is Toronto better without DeRozan on the floor? Uh, but but I thought Lowry played reasonably well in that series last year, even though they got swept. And and the season prior, I thought he was solid. Uh, and and as you said, the fact that his usage rate is down, he's not asked to do quite as much, and his his passing has uh, has continued to improve. I think he he is as much a, a part of guys like Ibaka and Siakam uh, and and their success they've had this season. Yeah, absolutely. I love how Lowry's game has evolved as he's you know, probably lost a step or, or gotten older. Um, it, it's really something great to see for a guy who got a late start in terms of his success in the NBA to be able to prolong his career on the back end here has been really nice. I, I don't know if we want to uh, to talk about the Warriors much, but I do have one more question for you on this tier. We, we seem to agree that Boston can beat any of these teams, but is, is third out of these three. There's this part of me that just feels like, are we just being idiots for not picking the Celtics, considering, like we just talked about, kind of the cojones factor with with the Raptors, and Boston is on the opposite end of that spectrum. Like, do you really think they fear any of these teams? And and do you really, like, can you imagine watching a Game 7 between these teams and and not just, like, feeling like the Celtics are, with their experience and Brad Stevens, Kyrie Irving, the, the whole group, like, why didn't I pick this team? 
Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, I mean, they're, despite the fact that they are third in my title contenders category, I mentioned it's it's really close, and yes, I could definitely see them see them going through, but, you know, a couple of the concerns and a couple of the reasons I have them lower is, you know, for one, again, if the playoffs started today, they'd be facing Philadelphia in round one. Then they would have to go through Milwaukee in round two, and then most likely Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals, all, you know, potentially all on the road even. You know, Philadelphia could theoretically be the four seed. So that, you know, while I see that as still a possibility because, you know, the Celtics have a ton of playoff experience, they're deep. Uh, You know, I I love Kyrie in the postseason. I think he is uh, is an X factor. Uh, You know, they, they they have enough shooting on the roster. They have plenty of defense. They, they certainly are a team that could do that. It's just uh, I have them slightly lower just because, you know, winning winning two or three series on the road in the NBA playoffs is extremely difficult. And, you know, the Raptors and Bucks offer their own unique challenges and uh, are, are very different teams in their own right that Boston would have to deal with. Yeah, I, I, I do agree. And I, like I said, that's ultimately why, why I have the Celtics below those two. I think the Eastern Conference playoffs are, are going to be great this year. Um, I, I can't wait for it. I think that the West, well, we seem to agree that the Warriors are 95% likely to come out or, or more. I don't know. Uh, it, uh, it's going to be good. Like, the other matchups are all going to be really good. I mean, the West is is 10 deep right now, like we talked about, and uh, and I could see really any of those other teams maybe, maybe outside of the Clippers and Kings making a run to as far as the conference finals. Yeah, the, the, the Western Conference playoffs on the other side of the bracket to the Warriors is going to be fascinating because, yes, you're right, like any of the teams on that side of the bracket you could see going through, especially, you know, if the likes of the Lakers get to that eighth spot. Uh, but, uh, or excuse me, it would have to be seven so that they would avoid the Warriors' side of the bracket. But uh, I, I wanted to just ask you real quick, I mentioned... In terms of those top three in the East, I have Milwaukee as the favorites over Toronto, but the underdogs against Boston. I have Boston as the favorites over Milwaukee, but the underdogs against the Raptors. And I have the Raptors as the favorites over Boston, but the underdogs against Milwaukee. So uh, is that kind of how you feel, or do you have a different idea about those specific matchups? Because I think... You know, as as much as we like to talk about, you know, just saying, okay, this is the best team, this is the second best team. I think matchups are are going to be really relevant this year in in who advances. I, I do agree with you, and I, I see the reason that you you kind of break it down that way. And I may have done the same before the trade deadline, uh, but as of now, I just I have the Bucks favored against any team. I okay, think with home court advantage, they are. You know, one of the best teams at home this year, twenty-three and five at home. They're also twenty and nine on the road, uh, best road record in the league right now, actually, as well. Um, I just think they're kind of, like I said, a half tier above everyone. I think the Miritich trade, well, well, Nikola Miritich might not be the absolute player Marc Gasol is. I think he might be at this stage in Gasol's career, frankly. But regardless of that, I think that he kind of does more in that matchup. Like, I like Gasol's acquisition more for how the Raptors match up against the Sixers or the Warriors should they make the finals more than I do for how they match up against the Bucks because I just I don't buy the idea that Gasol's going to really be a killer from, from the outside and, and stretch out Brooke Lopez. I, I'm not too worried about that. Um, and then on the other end, 
I think he's going to have some trouble defending Brook Lopez spacing the floor. So, so to me, Milwaukee's favorite over Toronto. They're favorite over Boston and Philadelphia. Um, so I really see them. Again, I'm not saying I expect them to come out of the East because it is close, but they are my favorite in any matchup. In a Toronto-Boston matchup, I I am going to go with the Raptors tentatively. Uh, I, I know that that just like we talked about the experience factor on both ends, and, and there's a gap there. But I just think Kawhi Leonard. He's a Finals MVP. He's a he's a proven playoff performer. That that I don't. I mean, as much defense as Boston has, I don't see anyone on that team that can really deal with Kawhi at this juncture. And uh, and with their perimeter defense, Leonard Green, Siakam, even Kyle Lowry, I think that Kyrie is is gonna have a, have a difficult series. Although he can certainly score against the best of the best. So so that's how I see it breaking down. And then Philadelphia. Uh, I, I do favor all three teams over Philly, but like I said, I think they have talent to beat any of them. So you're not a believer in the uh, Giannis stopper Semi Ojale, huh? <laughs> uh, if, if they want to put Semi Ojale on the court for 20 minutes, uh, some other problems may emerge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, so, so yeah, we uh, we obviously both have uh, for our final tier. We have the Golden State Warriors as the title favorite. We probably don't have to uh, to go on too much about them, but uh, I, I did want to get your thoughts on on Boogie Cousins so far. Of course, you are a Warriors fan. Uh, what has what has your impressions been of him? To me, he's uh, he's he's looked better than I was even anticipating coming off the Achilles injury. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think he's looked better himself. He has looked better than I anticipated. I thought. I mean, I thought this was a possibility. I thought, given his game, he has a, a good chance of recovering to near the same level, just because his game was was never predicated on explosion as much as it was on finesse and, and strength and skill. Um, and, and all of that still seems to be there for him. The biggest difference that you can see right now is that he's struggling to kind of overpower people in the post, um, which I guess the explosion factor there was was maybe underrated by a lot of people in terms of how important that is. Or, or that could just be a conditioning thing as well. He's just not back to 100% and he'll get there. I At the same time, I have been pretty disappointed in how he's been utilized. Um, when he first came back against... Clippers is where he made his debut about a month ago at this point. He was just out there shooting three, spacing the floor, and it, it was a sight to behold. Um, it's like, oh, the Warriors, you, you talked earlier about their lack of shooting depth beyond their big three. Uh, now they're adding a guy who can be like a 40% catch-and-shoot guy uh, who also happens to have all these other skills that they don't really need to utilize except with bench units. That That's a perfect fit for DeMarcus Cousins, kind of a floor spacer and then a high-usage guy when the stars rest. But over time, as he's gotten more acclimated, they've been putting him inside the arc more and running more action through him and posting him up. And he can be effective with that. He might get back to being himself in those spots. But even if he does, it's just it's taking the Warriors out of what they are. And, and I really am I'm getting a little bit worried that like there's a chance that this is just Steve Kerr experimenting and kind of giving him touches and, and getting ready for the postseason. But I'm getting a little bit worried that this is kind of how Boogie wants to play. And, and that's going to be an issue. If, if he is taking shots away from Durant, Clay, and Curry, uh, no matter how Boogie Cousins he is, you know, 90%, 95%, 100%, I just don't think that's a good thing. 
Right, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, him him just being an extra guy that can space the floor and make it so that Draymond Green is the only guy that can't shoot. And, you know, of course, Draymond is so good at just, when, when he's not being guarded, just passing the ball to an open teammate and setting a screen. And if his man is nowhere near him, that guy's going to get an open look. Uh, you know, Cousins has, has given them such great spacing. But, yeah, you mentioned if he's if he's going into the post, you know, not only does that take the ball out of Draymond Green's hands, who I think is really good passing out of the post, but it's, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's a less efficient offense. Cousins reminds me a lot of ways of what I've seen from Joel Embiid on the block against, you know, uh, superior post defenders. They oftentimes just don't seem like they have much of a move set, and so they just kind of try to bulldoze and, and just outsize and outstrength their way to the basket. And with Cousins not having quite as much lift as he used to, it, it, it kind of looks uh, a little bit clumsy at times. Yeah, and uh, ironically, I guess, we, we saw Embiid really frustrate him in that regard uh, a few weeks back. And, and I think that if Cousins does go up against a strong post defender, like we talked about, all these all these Eastern Conference teams have in the finals, uh, he, he may not be part of the Warriors' best lineup. And, and the question then will really be, can Steve Kerr kind of manage the egos and personalities and say, look, Bobby, like, you're not going to close games. You're going to play mostly with bench units. And uh, if you aren't willing to do that, then you're not going to play at all. I wonder if, if Kerr has the pull to do that, given, um, you know, the, the kind of power force of personality that, that is on this roster. Yeah, and that was the that was the the decision that uh, Bob Myers had to make when he signed him because we could we could see those issues possibly coming up at any point. So I, I gotta believe that Bob Myers talked to Steve Kerr, and Steve Kerr believes he can send that message. But but you're right if if they uh, if they get into a playoff series and and either Boogie is playing and and kind of sabotaging the team by requesting you know the. I, I call them the uh, the Shaquille O'Neal or Kendrick Perkins, like, uh, you know, post-touch to begin the game just as a, like, oh, you know, you're going to, so that you rebound and hustle, we'll give you, like, the first three possessions. It's like, well, three possessions matters over the course of a game, and you're just wasting them here. You know, that that could be an issue, and as you said, if he uh, if he doesn't accept that role and they put him on the bench, like, yeah, what kind of locker room issues could that cause? Yeah, I mean, I would rather give three post touches to to uh, Shaq than to Kendrick Perkins. But well, I guess I was referring to like 2010 Shaq when Shaq was on the Cavs. <laughs> yeah, or, uh, yeah, I guess post Achilles boogie might fall more more into that category as well. Uh, <laughs> still, still see a gap between him him and Perk, but uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was maybe a little too insulting to throw Kendrick Perkins' name into this discussion. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much more to say about the Warriors. I mean, look, we're talking about the one potential thing that could, could tear this team apart. Uh, that seems unlikely. They're probably going to roll over everyone again. We'll see if Kevin Durant stays in free agency. But, uh, but despite having having a power like Golden State present, uh, I do think we are we're in for a better postseason than we've had for probably since the Warriors started this. Uh, well, no, I, I can't say that because 2016 uh, Warriors. OKC and then Warriors Cavs was some of the best playoff basketball since since Durant came to Golden State. Let's put it that way. Yeah, the the twenty sixteen playoffs was absolutely phenomenal. But uh, but yeah, so I assume you would take the Warriors over the field at this point, especially given they're such a favorite to even just make the finals. I would. I was. I was more. I was unsure of my answer to that question before Cousins came back, and while I, I have talked about uh, 
the potential pitfalls of that, just seeing that he has a chance to be a contributing player, um, I, I think makes them clearly like such a significant favorite over any other team that I would favor them over the field at this point, especially because, like I said, I don't really see them being challenged until the finals. Yep, I'm in I'm in total agreement with you there. Well, uh, let's see. Do you have uh, Do you have anything else you'd like to uh, to plug before we finish up here? Uh, just you mentioned it earlier, red team scouting. Uh, we're we're dropping the draft guide kind of day by day. These these player breakdowns. We have a, a scoring system that's pretty unique on the market. The starting five score uh, seven players are out now. Um, Cam Reddish being being the, the seventh guy that's that's going to drop here. I think probably before you hear this podcast so uh check that out and, and i'm producing all of the videos which haven't come out yet but uh but think kind of old draft express style scouting breakdowns it's going to be going to be good stuff um and, and shout out to all our scouts who are kind of providing me with with clips and scouting reports for that i'm, I'm just a video guy I'm, I'm by no means a draft expert but uh, a lot of exciting stuff from red team scouting coming in the in the coming weeks and months all right, awesome. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. I'm sure it'll be uh, really interesting stuff. And yeah, once the once the draft comes around, that's when I really start to uh, to study up on on all the different prospects. But uh, Simon, this was uh, this was a heck of a lot of fun. Thanks so much for uh, for taking the time. Thanks for having me on, Garrett. Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S P R E A K E R. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at O-N-U dot E-D-U. You can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. I'd be happy to to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the uh, the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off season. And uh, if you're if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material, uh, A lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.